Hello, Retro Encounter listeners. It's been a while since I've had to do one of these, but we recorded a few episodes ahead of schedule, and then the schedule changed after we recorded. Long story short, this is episode 110, but at the beginning of the episode, I say it's episode 111. That's incorrect, that's my bad, and I apologize. So please, enjoy this new episode of Retro Encounter, episode number 110. Retro Encounter, RPG fans, dedicated topic podcast. Not, I'm still not really sure exactly what the subtitle of this thing should be, but it is an RPG fan podcast, and it is called Retro Encounter. I'm Mike Solosi. I'm your host for today, and probably several other days. I apologize for my ubiquitous presence on this podcast. But with me are two much more interesting gents. First of all, Peter Treasenberg. I'm, I'm, I'm not really that much more interesting, but uh, hi, Peter Treasenberg. I have theory on the boards. And second... Keegan Lee. Hi, folks. I like to think I'm super interesting, but I'm also narcissistic. Not denying either of those. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, we are in the midst of our Final Fantasy specials for Retro Encounter. Final Fantasy is probably the topic or the series that we talk about the most on this uh, podcast. We've done many episodes on Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy XII a handful on Final Fantasy VI. You might have heard one on Final Fantasy IX just a few weeks ago. We talk a lot of Final Fantasy on this podcast. And so our solution, our reaction to that was to talk about it for four more episodes in a row to celebrate the series' 30th anniversary. This is the third of such episodes, and today we're going to talk about Final Fantasy movies. Over the past, oh shoot, I guess 17 years, Final Fantasy has experimented with, I would say fairly large animation budget films three times. Would you say, like, none of these are... I wouldn't say any of those three are quickie cash-ins. There there was effort and and resources put into these three movies. The cutting edge of technology, all three of them, are really, like... They're all CGI films, and they all, like... They get get famous voice actors. Their animation budget's probably through the roof. They use motion capture... The, one of them even pioneered some of this technology. It's, it, it, on, the, on the technical front, these movies are pretty incredible. Right, so I, I think that anyone to call anyone that would call these movies quick cash grabs or things of that nature would be patently false. <laughs> just because <laughs> just because there was so much investment into these movies, they wanted these to be big successes. They weren't always big successes, but we can get into more details a little later. So, yeah, this episode is called the Final Fantasy Film Festival, and we're going to talk about three Final Fantasy films in this episode. I think we're going to go in reverse order chronologically for these. We'll start with the most recent one first, and then cap it off with the uh, with the first Final Fantasy movie. Now, I haven't told you guys this in advance. I, I'm speaking to Peter and Keegan here. Uh, at the end of each movie discussion, I'm going to ask you a specific question, all right? Okay. So be prepared that 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 there's something I want to ask you that I that I have not told you yet, and at the very oh, end of the episode, oh, um, bracing myself now. Yeah, <laughs> and at the very end of the episode, each of us will um decide which one is maybe the best one and which one is was our favorite of the three. So you can just um have that as 
something in the back of your mind, but also there's a, a certain question I'm going to ask you each time. But the first movie that we're going to discuss is Kingsglaive Final Fantasy XV, which is a prequel movie of sorts to Final Fantasy XV, the game. Now, I have not played Final Fantasy XV, but I did see Kingsglaive earlier this week, so I have some questions. <laughs> Uh, for, for uh, now, I, I did I listen. Have some answers. Okay, good, good. That, that's a good start. I did listen to the Kingsglaive episode, most, but I was mostly interested in your speculation and your overall opinions of the movie. When uh, Peter, I believe it was you, Steph, Caitlin, and Stephen that that were on that episode. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, how much of Kingsglaive is in Final Fantasy fifteen, and is watching Kingsglaive? Required or or at least valuable before playing Final Fantasy fifteen. Um, almost none of it actually is in the movie. Is in the game, I mean. But um, yes, it is pretty necessary. It is pretty much necessary background. Necessary. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say yes. Strong um, adjective. Well, and the reason I say yes is because, as I'm sure most of us know. Uh, Final Fantasy XV was a very had a very tumultuous development cycle. It was originally versus thirteen, and then kind of went through this like weird development meat grinder. And um, what Kingsglaive is essentially is a lot of the cut content from the cut story content from the game. Like when they first showed the game at E three twenty, when they first announced it was Final Fantasy XV, they had this whole sequence where Noctis and the Bros were like had to escape the city when it was under Imperial attack. That never made it into the game, but was instead retrofitted into Kingsglaive because they decided after the fact, no, they're going to be outside the city already when the invasion hits. So we have to tell that story. The movie is kind of like here's all the background info for this universe except or at least for or at least for the going on at the moment and yeah it's you're you're, you're going to be a little in the dark when uh 15 starts otherwise although they do they did add in some of the some scenes from King's Glaive they sort of patched they patched them in at launch i guess you could pro- you might be able to get by but i'd say i'd say it's a pretty a pretty necessary watch so so if you jump into 15 cold you are introduced to the four main characters in the car, which is the after credit scene in Kingsglaive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but none of those four characters are in Kingsglaive, except for Noctis as a child, I think. But, but the story of Kingsglaive is that there's uh, these two nations at war, one of the... an, an evil empire and a good kingdom. Shocker, Final Fantasy. Uh, and uh, and and the and the bad kingdom like they they finally negotiate a uh, a peace treaty or ceasefire where the the evil empire gets everything except for the capital city and then during the peace negotiations there's a um the empire basically backstabs the kingdom uh the the kingdom's special forces units called kingsglaives uh try to stop them but ultimately fail and it ends up with a the prin- the princess of a neighboring province that the empire was having as a hostage escapes with a magic ring that has all of the magic power of the kingdom in it and the prince of the kingdom noctis and three of his best friends leave in a car to find the princess am i am i misinterpreting any of that it's about the that's basically okay. that's basically yeah. So much of FF15, and I, again, I haven't played FF15, so I'm extrapolating a little bit, or at least part of it, is these four guys going on a road trip trying to get to the princess. But the princess is somewhere hidden. Where Where is she? Where is Luna Freya? Um, she, 
so Noctis is in, is engaged to her. Right. Yes. Um, it's an arranged it's an arranged marriage. It's part of the the empire's. That's one of their stipulations in the treaty. Uh. Okay. So, Lunafreya okay. and Noctis are engaged. Um, after the conflict in King's Glaive, Lunafreya leaves with the ring that the king of uh, of Niflheim, yeah, yeah the, the king of Nif- Niflheim has. Wait, no, is, and, is, the, is Niflheim the kingdom or the empire? That's the empire. Uh, uh, Lucis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she, she has, has she has the ring of the king of kingdom of Lucis, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the whole thing is that Noctis is trying to get to, he was sent out of the city to get to their engagement because King Sean Bean um. Uh, wanted him uh, knew that knew that the empire was going to try something and wanted him out of the city when it happened, and so they they they're on their way to Noctis's wedding, not knowing what's gone down. Oh, okay. So so they're going to the capital of Lucis, but they aren't aware that it's destroyed during the events of Kingsclave. Yeah, basically. Oh it, man, all right. I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I wasn't aware that they were that in the dark about it. Okay. Nope, they find they find out um early on in the game, um, but it's already gone down. Um, okay, so other than Luna Freya, I guess, what characters in Kingsglaive make it into FF fifteen? Because I'm I'm assuming that Nyx and the Kingsglaives themselves aren't really a factor since they're mostly dead or scattered by the end of the movie. Yeah, they're not um they're not really mentioned um much. Um uh, Regis, the king, is in a couple cutscenes, but largely doesn't play a role. Um Luna obviously Art Arden, the Chancellor, is plays a very prominent. Oh yeah, role. a guy who is obviously a bad guy from the beginning, but they let but they <laughs> but they let him they let him offer a pre- peace treaty and walk into the main court courtroom anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the em- the Emperor also is in it, although not very much. I actually I like I really like um the evil Emperor in Kingsclave because he's he's conniving. His voice actor seems like he's having fun, and then in the game he's just oh, yeah. like kind of a non entity. <laughs> No, he was he was um, a good bad guy in the movie. There's yeah. one bad guy I have some issues with. We can talk about him a little bit. Uh, so um, so is Keeg, it, is so it Keeg... Ultros? <laughs> is it the part <laughs> where Ultros randomly shows up? No. I, if if anything, I would have welcomed more Ultros. Uh, Keegan, first of all, give yeah. us your, give us your um like 15 second background on FF15, FF15, and then your more detailed reaction to Kingsglaive. Okay, so uh, quick background. Played the game before I saw the movie. Actually, didn't see the movie until recently. So I was kind of one of those who went into the game blind without really knowing the backstory. I kind of feel like a lot of what's in Kingsglaive is very superfluous for 15. I mean, it's a nice backing, but it didn't really affect how I felt about the game. You know, like the descriptions they give you in the game and like the background and cutscenes felt adequate enough to me that I felt like I wasn't missing out on much, you know? That being said, though, I do think that the movie is beautiful first and foremost like if there's one thing you can't say about these movies it's that the graphics are amazing but and this is a problem i have with uh advent children too that i'll get more in depth later final fantasy movies are really good at providing an awesome story but horrible with world building it's very much expected that you're already invested in these worlds before you go into these movies does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a, a good or at least an interesting story, except it's very badly told and presented to the audience in a very confusing manner. I I don't know if I would even say that they're that they're interesting stories. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> okay. I, I think that they're I think it's that they're an interesting um, concept for a story. They're like, trying to take a video game story, which 
which by definition are designed for that medium, then mm. then trying to take like, but but also ultimately not great at storytelling in a linear, uh, straightforward medium. Like when when you adapt a video game story into prose, it almost always seems disjointed and weird. Yes. Yeah. So, and and I'm not saying video games have bad stories. I've enjoyed many, many video game stories over the years. Obviously, I'm on. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a staff member and RPG fan of all places. <laughs> yeah. But, but it doesn't translate uh, well to another medium. Yeah. So, but, so when they translate like video game storytelling into film storytelling, it doesn't really work. I think all three movies are sort of bad at storytelling, and yeah. but uh, and might have interesting ideas and interesting lore surrounding it, but it's but they aren't they aren't good plots or good stories for any of the three of them. Maybe maybe the, I don't know if that's, I don't know how hot that take is. Honestly, I, I, it seemed pretty it seemed pretty obvious to me that these were all weakly plotted movies that are that were beautiful to look at. Because Square, controversial if, opinion there. Yeah, if, if Square is yeah if if Square is good at one thing, or have, has always been good at one thing, it's um it's visuals. They're like every game that they make. Oh, for sure. Is um mm-hmm. is beautiful for the time that they for the time that they make it, and even going back to one of the movies which is seventeen years old, I thought it was still visually quite stunning. But anyway, back to Kingsclave. Um, the what, what's the name of the main of the main city, the capital of Lucis? I can't remember. It's uh, Insomnia. Insomnia, right? Insomnia. That's it. Every every word is like a is like a Greek or Latin word. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like because I mean I mean Noctis and Nyx both mean night, but in, in Latin and Greek. <laughs> But uh, what you, you didn't like? You didn't like such riveting characters as Libertus Axiom right. and Titus Droughtos. Oh God! Yeah. I have the cast list on my computer just in case I was asked because I don't have their names in my memory. I don't. I'm ninety percent. I'm like ninety percent like sure that they they just like threw a couple random Latin phrases together for some of these characters. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly a little shocked that they named one of the characters Crow and not Corvus. Or, or Corvia or something. Oh but, my god, missed opportunity, guys. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. But anyway, uh, anyway, I thought that when they did like the sweeping shots over Insomnia, it's like, man, that is a beautiful fake kingdom. This is awesome. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of the uh, the action scenes are quite breathtaking, especially like they basically glaives are, are a really cool interpretation of like Final Fantasy Black Mages, I would say. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's there's a lot of cool stuff in here, but the, I mean the big problem with King's Glaive is that it sort of doesn't have a beginning or an ending. <laughs> it starts in the middle um, of a big conflict and doesn't end in a satisfying manner. I found this out from Stephen after the fact. Actually, I think he may have brought it up at the very end of our King's Glaive podcast. The movie was actually done by three different studios that each handled one of the acts. Um, oh geez, that which, sounds like that's a great idea right from the get go. Yeah, right. Is, yeah, that, there's an approach for cohesive storytelling right there. And so when you're already dealing with the fact that this is game is basically just an extended prologue for the video game, as well as because it came out um, well in advance of the game's release, even before it was delayed by a couple months, a glorified advertisement. But then you have the fact that yeah, I'm not even sure. Like, I'm not sure how much oversight there was. In terms of the games of the movie's narrative, which leads into another problem I have with it, but I can get into that in a second. Key, and you were going to say something? Oh, I was literally just agreeing that there definitely oh. is no beginning or ending. It's conflict to conflict with no resolution. Yes, yeah, it's, it's conflict to conflict, and the, it ends with a teaser to FF15, which allegedly will resolve all of this. When and I don't know if it does because again, I haven't well, played FF15. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, but but okay. but I, but I no, should no, no, say no. like, but individual characters in this movie, I I did get somewhat attached to. I thought Nyx was a mostly fine protagonist. 
Yeah, he's fine. And um, and yeah. I and I was sad when Crow died because that just made her a plot point and not a character, which, which is which seems true yep. of, of which is a uh, huge problem. Yeah, no, yeah, it's <laughs> which is a truth of it's true of both of the women in this movie. <laughs> I would say, okay, so my main issue going um, with King's Glaive, in my opinion of the movie, has uh, definitely fallen since I've played the game, even though I still enjoy it. Um, the game, I like this I like this series, I like, even though it has some major problems. Um, I've enjoyed the 15 universe, quote-unquote. Well, so, like, my main problem, my main problem with King's Glaive um, is really just that there are a lot of inconsistencies between the game and the movie, which... Um, Either some substantial rewrites happened um, between the time that the game was delayed um, and released, or um, there just wasn't any oversight or communication between those movie studios and uh, the game creators, which would be my guess. Because, and there are little things like Luna's called a princess in in the in the movie, um, and she's never referred to as that in the game. Um, she has oh, another yeah. title. I said, "Oh yeah, I never noticed that." She's like the high priestess in the game, right? Yeah, she's the Oracle, which um, yeah. they never mention. They never mention anything that's actually really plot relevant in 15 in the movie. And I don't know if that was to hide spoilers or that they literally just hadn't figured it out yet. <laughs> okay, yeah, I had. They never mentioned an Oracle once. They never mentioned the Oracle, um, the Star Scourge. Um, they they mentioned the demons in passing, but they don't talk any. They don't give any concrete info about them other than that they exist. And um, actually, we we uh, you you may, you may have missed this for a second, listeners. But Keegan had made a joke off off camera about um, offering DLC for movies. There had <laughs> I just remembered there was DLC for Kingsglaive. Wait, wait a second. Uh, okay. Episode episode. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm being just a little bit. But episode prompto, the second DLC add-on for the game for the game fills in plot holes from Kingsglaive. Oh, <laughs> perfect. All right. All right. <laughs> but anyway, my na- my major beef, my major beef with the movie, those inconsistencies has to do with Arden, who is the main antagonist of the game, and, and he, he's the really... uh, he's a chancellor or a diplomat of some kind for the he, empire. He's he's Niflheim's chancellor. He's like the king, the emperor's right hand man, or whatever. Right. Obviously, he, a bad guy from the get go. I mean, come on. Obviously, a bad guy, and he obviously has an agenda. Here's the thing. In the game, early on in the game, there's a big plot point that nobody actually knows what Arden looks like or what his real name is. All they know is wait. that there is... <laughs> wait, wait yeah, a second. Hang on, hang on. All, the, all okay. they know is that there is a Chancellor Izunia. So when Arden pops in and is like, oh, by the way, I never told you my real name. It's supposed to be some big plot thread, except for the fact that Arden showed up in person yeah, at during... the capital. It's and it's and, possible and, yeah. that everyone that saw him died. <laughs> okay, okay. In King's okay, Glaive, but here's I... the thing. Here's mm-hmm. why, here's why this. Here's another. Here, there, there are many layers to why this bothers me. Oh, okay, okay. L- later on, later later on in the game, um, it's revealed that Arden can kind of he has like illusion powers. He can make himself look like other people. So maybe he did that. Except that's not presented to the audience in the movie. So if that's the case, it's a lazy cop out. Two, telling you could argue that maybe that Noctis d- didn't know what he looked like, but King Regis did. Are you telling me that Regis is going to send his only kid, his heir, and like the guy who has the fate of the world on his shoulders out into the world, and he's not going to be like, "Hey, watch out for purple-haired Fedora man. He's bad news." And didn't and, and didn't everyone in the court in the king's chamber 
in Insomnia recognize him? Like, ah, yeah. he's like, we just, ah, you're we the just mis- recognized him on site. Yeah, didn't they say, oh, <laughs> so then, you're the mysterious chancellor of of Niflheim or something? Didn't? It- no, he recognized him immediately. He's like, has Niflheim as they, that they send you? Also, and then also like in this universe that has cell phones and sports cars and Beats by Dre ads in the bill on the billboards. And Although I should say, of the, all the, of the three movies we watched, this, this, is, other- uh, um, this is only the second biggest presence of cell phones. But uh, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but you're telling me they don't have security cameras? You didn't get footage of this guy? Just it, that 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 this that I know it's a it's a dumb thing that I'm really nitpicking over, but it's just things like that that really undermine King's Glaive's like, okay, this is a prequel to the game, and yeah, okay, it introduces some little tidbits of things you should be interested in, and it does give I think, I think it's a pretty necessary context for what happened in the city, or at least like some context at all, which is not more than the game provides. It's just ah uh, ah. It's frustrating. No, that, that that is frustrating. I mean, it, it that everything, all of Arden's appearances in Kingsglaive seem to undermine a key part or parts of his character in the game, which would be frustrating, especially if you if you like the game or I dare say like Arden. But uh, I mean, yeah, which I, mean, I think the character it's just the this whole yeah the movie the movie just kind of it just creates plot holes where there shouldn't be them and yeah. You, you can't pa- and yeah you can't patch movies square I'm sorry and- George Lucas tried <laughs> not yet they can <laughs> and well and well personally again I haven't played the game so I don't have any issues with it uh, interfering with the plot of the game since I don't have a point of reference my big problem with the movie regarding a specific character or scene was with our boy Titus because I think that it is frankly impossible for someone to be the uh, the, the head of the special forces of one kingdom while simultaneously being a major general in the other kingdom. Like that, that is a, that is a level, that that is a level of espionage that seems impossible. He's just that good. (laughs) It's like, like how are you one of the most important military figures in two nations that have been at war for decades? I, 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 for some reason that struck me as a little unlikely. And it's pretty and darn unlikely. It's. I think they wanted that plot reveal of um, the guy who killed his uh, his mother and, or, or sorry, killed Lunafreya's father, and is one of the central figures for um, you know the motivation for Lunafreya and her brother and maybe Noctis. Well, like one of the central antagonists is secretly someone that Nyx uh, held as a close friend. I think they wanted that twist. But just the circumstances for that twist are so insane that I, like, it made me laugh out loud for a lot of these very serious cutscenes when Titus's mask is, or I should say Glauca's mask is broken in half. When I, when I should not have been laughing during those points. Um, I, will, I will say this: he's not in the game. Okay, all right. I, I was gonna, I was going to ask that as a follow-up question. <laughs> I was going to beat you there. No, he, he's in the opening cutscene as, um, as Titus Drautos. Uh, Noctis is like. Hey, keep my dad safe, which I guess is kind of ironic considering he murders him. But um, <laughs> um, but, but no, that's Glauca never addressed is, in the game, is it? No, it's not. I'm pretty sure it's just cannot accepted. <laughs> yep, there's wow. there's no like there's no like you killed my father. My name is Noctis Lucius Calum. You killed my father. Prepare to die. There's none of that. Hmm. It's just uh, Glauca died died off screen, and he's a bit villain from the movie. That's it. 
it would like it would be like having an episode uh, six and a half of the Star Wars movies starring some nameless soldier, but Captain Phasma is also like a rebel leader. That <laughs> it, 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 like it, it just seems impossible, but and, and that bothered me a little bit. But so Peter, uh, Peter, not Peter, Keegan, had, did you yes. have any specific beefs or nitpicks about the movie that uh, bothered you? Not particularly, but I've also haven't been as invested in fifteen as Peter. So, like, some of the things that he called out, I just simply haven't gotten to in the game. Honestly, it's the product placement that gets me. <laughs> it gets me the most so bad, and it gets me in every other Final Fantasy movie, which we'll get to. But, like, when you bring in something from the real world into such a fantasy experience, it just kills it for me. Like, I, I can't believe that Magic and Oddies exist in the same timeline. I don't know, man. Just watching these three movies made me want to just drink so much Pepsi <laughs> and eat and eat so much cup noodles. Oh god, so many cup noodles. Reminds me, I got to download that cup noodle DLC. <laughs> okay, so uh, we all have our issues with Kingsclave, but I, I think in general, it's a an entertaining action CGI animated movie that has a lot of plot holes and a lot of nonsense. That uh, that bring down the experience at least a little bit. But there's one question I want to ask both of you guys, and I alluded to this at, near the beginning of the podcast. Um, starting with you, Peter, should this movie exist? No, because this all should have been in the game. Okay, Keegan, <laughs> should this movie exist? King's gonna... Final Fantasy 15. I was going to say yes, but I agree with Peter. This should have been in the game. All right. Now I'll ask that same question of you at the end of each of our other discussions. So we're going to move right on to Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, a movie from the mid-2000s that I saw in college with a bunch of confused people at the at the video games club. Um, it was part of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII Project that gave us such gems as Final Fantasy VII Dirge of Cerberus and Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. Were you waiting for a reaction shot under Disturbus? <laughs> One of these things is really good. Yeah, Crisis Core was great. Yeah. I wish that the Crisis Core battle system was more than watching slots fill out before going to the next cool cutscene. Yeah. But, that's, but, uh, and <laughs> but that, that was a pretty entertaining game and good fan service for FF7 fans. But... I'm I'm not sure if Advent Children was as good fan service for FF7 fans. It takes place two years after Final Fantasy VII. Confused me a little bit by about the ending of Final Fantasy VII, which I can get to in a in a little bit. But is mostly about um, Cloud fighting some reference some reference some remnants of Sephiroth that have Genova cells within them and maybe poisoning the world at large with a plague called Geostigma, which is also basically Sephiroth messing around with the planet's life stream. Uh, I don't want to get into all the plot nonsense of Ad- of Advent Children, but it, uh, it it's most uh, like it shows Cloud and Tifa and to a lesser extent Vincent much more prominently than the rest of the FF7 main cast and also introduces a few uh, orphan characters that Tifa and Cloud have taken in and uh, um, Barrett's foster daughter Marlene has befriended one of the orphans named Denzel and these Sephiroth borderline cultists collect a bunch of orphans that have the geostigma disease and mind control them with some gen- with Genova cells and I should mention that Genova was a sort of an alien uh, terror that landed on the planet before the events of FF7 and sort of influenced a lot of the events of FF7. Oh boy, this is, I'm sorry for this. For the, I, I'm sorry for this ramble, guys. 
it's okay. You're reminding me of um. I, I think I wasn't when I was in high when I was in high school. I tried to explain the plot of Final Fantasy VII to one of my friends, <laughs> oh, and I, and right around the time I got to explaining um the Genova thing, I was like, Pete, I'm gonna stop you there. This makes no sense. Yeah, really. When you when you try to now maybe this is a topic for another podcast, but when you describe the plot of a Dragon Quest game to a non-gamer, it sounds like a fairy tale. And when you try to explain a Final Fantasy plot to a non-gamer, it sounds like a sci-fi Philip, Philip K. Dick dream that he thought was too weird to put into a book. <laughs> and and FF Seven preface by Dean. Yeah, like FF Seven is like that. It's a it's a it's a crazy fi- sci-fi story that goes some weird but but interesting places. And Advent Children is a sequel that has the characters shown in some interesting lights, but is ultimately about a uh, Cloud and um, teaming up with his teammates, with his former teammates, and with Shinra staff to wipe out the last remnants of Sephiroth's cult and influence. I will say, um, you all watched the um, the complete version of Advent Children, right? The recent uh, re-release? I, yes. I, th- I think so. I'm not 100% sure. I, I, so, I got the cheapest version I could get, dude. So, so Advent Children was originally released <laughs> in uh, 2004, 2005, and then in um, 2009... Yeah, my first year of college. <laughs> in 2009, they actually made an extended cut called Advent Children Complete, that I think has become the uh, the de facto version of the movie. That's the one that it, they just re-released it. That's kind of the one that's readily available. I probably I watched that. it because I got a cheap Blu-ray of it uh, a few weeks ago. That's probably it. It added. Um, did, did the anim- does the animation quality like suddenly dramatically improve? Then you're I, watching the complete version. Okay, I don't remember the animation quality of the movie I saw twelve years ago. But well, so, so the, the the incomplete the thing about complete is that it adds a half hour of additional footage. It did seem um, long as hell. It was the the, the movie yes. the movie I saw was about two hours and ten minutes or two hours and five minutes. That's, yeah, that's complete. That's probably the complete. Part. Okay, cool. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. It it adds a few more scenes in to explain the geostigma plot, a few more character beats, um, a couple new scenes with the remnants, um, and it also um. It redoes entire scenes from the original movie. Like it redoes the the scene where um where Rufus Shinra shows up and actually like kind of makes it, it makes a little more sense now. They, okay, they, yeah, because I, I, I remember I think I remember it, parts of it being more confusing the first time I watched it. So I'm I'm pretty sure I watched the complete version. I'm not gonna run downstairs and check, but. Uh... <laughs> I, I, generally speaking, I think that version is an, is a big improvement, and I really I do quite enjoy it. But um, there there are parts where the new animation I think is really jarring because you'll be watching like the Sephiroth fight scene, and it'll be, um, and it'll be the same pretty good animation from 2005, and then all of a sudden it'll cut to the next scene, and it'll be like, oh wow, there are a lot more particle effects going on. <laughs> Plot nonsense aside and fan service aside, because I think this movie might have the most Final Fantasy fan for service of any of these three. Oh, yes. Because there's a... It's a, a lot of FF7 characters cameo or make small returns, and there's a lot of musical cues to FF7 stuff that I actually enjoyed probably more than the cameos. But th- I think what I liked the most about this movie was the action scenes, because a lot of... There's a lot of stuff on motorcycles and a lot of sword fights, and um, and there's and there's also a pretty cool uh, martial arts fight between, uh, is is uh, not what's his name, Law, uh, Laws and Tifa in the church. That's pretty great. Yeah, that part, that's fun. That's fun if uh, 
yeah, so, improbable. So, so yeah, so like the the um the action choreography is completely bonkers, but entertaining bonkers, I would say, and the plot stuff is also bonkers, but I think less entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I gotta agree with that. Um, I definitely think the action scenes are some of the best parts of this movie, but <laughs> I don't know when I started laughing or how hard it was, but during the Bahamut fight, when everybody kept throwing Cloud into the air yeah. so he could reach Bahamut, how did Tifa get so far up that building? Yeah, she was the last Bahamut. person to enter the fight, and my, somehow the higher up than everyone else, so that yes. so they do so they do this like this. I, I, my favorite is always my favorite is always Vincent because he's just sitting there on one of the things. Like I don't know how I got up here. And why is and, and why is the guy who's literally uh, extremely good at at jumping attacks like the n- near the bottom of the tower? <laughs> yeah, at least uh, um, at least Vincent has an excuse because he can turn into a vampire or whatever. But <laughs> the music's good. The music the is music's good. Really? And, and how weird is it that we have a a, Wee, a a Reeve cell phone cameo, but Kate Sith is just a cat without his without his Moogle vehicle and is just. Ta- is just like tailing Red Thirteen the entire man. <laughs> I, I, I question the, their use of the rest of the FF Seven cast, other than Cloud and Tifa. Oh, 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 Cloud! You're the chips engraver. <laughs> God, yeah. Like, oh. um, I, I watched the Japanese dub of this one. I, I watched uh, all three. I watched the other two movies in English, but I watched this one in Japanese. Yeah, it, it like just seeing Kate Sith's bad Scottish subtitles <laughs> with, with Japanese audio definitely had me raise both eyebrows. But it was a, uh, but my biggest problem with this movie, and this is in reference to FF Seven, and I've argued with this with people on on internet forums before. I'm not sure it's come up in the podcast before, but I think that they made the Turks too silly. Because yeah, because in in FF Seven there are these four mostly cool secret agents, and Reno and Rude are genuine threats, and uh, and sort of like stoic badasses, at least for most of their FF Seven scenes. When they're talking about which girl is the prettiest, or uh, or like knocking Don, shoving Don Corneo off a cliff, they're definitely silly. But I think that being reduced to like slapstick idiots was a bit much. In Advent Children, especially since they're two mm. characters I enjoyed in in uh, FF Seven, but like scenes where with like Rude having his glasses break only for him to take a new pair of glasses out of his jacket. That's that was pretty good. That but, did make me laugh. And uh, I, like the fact, I like the fact that um that that uh, Reno is uh, Quentin Flynn, so he's also Axel from Kingdom Hearts, and they basically are playing the same character. Oh, good. Um, so, so that's so that's are. that's why they ruined him. They brought Kingdom Hearts into my Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven. Oh, that's, that's oh what you be quiet. Looks okay, my uh, my my. my, my, my. Yeah, I, I, I think mm-hmm. I explained. Oh, 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 my internet's broken again, Peter. Oh no. Uh. <laughs> I will. I will. I'm, I'm going to show up your house with a giant key, and I don't know. I, I, it's I a good thing I wasn't able to hear giant. any of that, Peter. I, I was just going to say that's where um a lot of the voice cast um for this is Advent Children um a lot of their voice actors like Cloud's voice actor first showed up in um, Kingdom Hearts 1, but um, a lot of those actors would kind of go on to reprise their roles in future games. And I think Advent Children's kind of where a lot of them got established, like George Newbern as Sephiroth. And uh, Rachel Lee Cook um, is Tifa, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, she, I mean, she's um, the... Steve, uh, Steve Bloom and Vincent. She's, I mean, Rachel Lee Cook is obviously the main character of She's All That, a classic late 90s, early 2000s teen comedy. <laughs> Which George will... George Newburn was the, the the groom and father of the bride, which oh, makes wow. 
up a million times funnier. <laughs> and weirdly, the Yuffie best was Ren was... Stevens from the classic Even Stevens cartoon oh, or yeah. TV show on Disney. Oh, and weirdly, the the best voice actor and she's all that ended up not being Rachel Lee Cook, but Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> who's True. Done, who's done a lot of good work in Bioware games and others. Uh, and it, when we went to E3, uh, I, I saw him play a fighting in a fighting game tournament on the um, on the quad outside the main building. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah he was playing Tekken 7 against a, a WWE wrestler, I think. So, yeah, Freddie Prince Jr., maybe he should have been in this movie. But, yeah, I, I, again... Like the fan service is cool a lot of the time, and the fight scenes are insane. But I mean, I could not give half a damn about any of the new characters. I sort of just wish the or- orphans would all just die at the Geo Stigma. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the sort of climax is a very lengthy bike chase scene where the where uh, Yazoo and Laws don't die from giant explosions. And then there's a, a, a big, a big sword fight between uh, Kadaj and Cloud. And but when Kadaj basically puts Jenova's head inside of him, somehow he turns into Sephiroth. And there's a big fight scene between Cloud and Sephiroth, where I man, Cloud should have died in that scene twelve times. But he got a limit break, yo. Yep. Yeah, but he gets stabbed so many times by Sephiroth. Then he kills him with a limit break, and then somehow a shot to the back is what has him pass out. And not when he was stabbed twelve times by a sword taller than he is. Oh well, I, I should, I should, you know, I should not be looking for logical consistency in the injuries of Final Fantasy movies because, because of a lot of reasons. But, uh, but it's, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really weird how the movie kind of operates on video game logic, though, because they have materia. They have like they show characters like picking up the little spheres for magic spells and sticking them in their arms, and then later on, Kadaj is using thunder magic. Like it's it's bizarre. <laughs> like that was a consistency that I kind of appreciated. It, it um no it, it, it it's it's just really weird seeing a movie whose whole plot structure like like Cloud's limit breaks. Cloud uses a couple of his limit breaks in the movie, including in the fight does. against Sephiroth after he sustains heavy damage. It's like yeah, I definitely saw a Clem's ha- a Clem hazard is what kills um, Bahamut. And he does use a blade beam and a braver against Kadaj, and then he finishes up him off with a really insane multi-sword version of Omni Slash. So at, at least those four I saw. Even um even in the complete version, well that's the version we all watched, so I probably should shut up about that. But um um when Sephiroth stabs him, he's trying the original Omni Slash. <laughs> oh, and 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 Barrett does use uh, Sephiroth one. <laughs> Barrett does use Big Shot at least once. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And I think, oh shoot, um, Tifa. I, I didn't. I I don't remember Tifa's moves as well. But I think she used either a, a pummel or a dolphin blow, sans dolphin, against in the fight against Laws. I think she actually goes. Th- I think I think she goes through um, all seven. Not if not all, then most of her limit breaks uh, during her fight scene. So yeah, that, I, that's just that, that's and then, then like little funny things like um, like Laws's cell phone playing the victory yes. after yeah. that fight. So many cell phones in this movie. It's like 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 it's, everyone has oh a flip God. phone. Cloud's answering machine is practically the has the most character development of anyone in the movie, <laughs> and um, and and there's you even see Cloud's phone get a death scene while it slowly falls through the pool, kind of like Aerith's white materia during her death scene <laughs> in was, Final Fantasy was, VII. The thing is, that was all product placement. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I'm, was... I'm sure. Yeah, was it a Nokia phone or something? 
It was yeah. It was a it was it was a certain model of phone that they partnered <laughs> with for the movie. So the, the giant uh, Pepsi sign uh, near the beginning uh, got me a little harder, but uh, both of them are yeah. <laughs> uh, very. That beats very, my dread anymore. But good God, yeah, so bad. God, so many cell phones in this movie. It made me nostalgic for old flip phones that were near indestructible. Yeah, like that phone's probably fine. Yeah, but but all of us, (laughs) most of us that have smartphones now, I mean, those things are made of glass, and they want you to replace them every year anyway. Hooray! True. Remember the run? Know the the running subplot about how Vincent needs to buy a phone. Yeah, God. Maybe that was maybe that was subliminal messaging. You need to buy a phone. Vincent, you don't have a phone, and you can almost feel like Tetsuya Nomura is going to come up and be like, "Don't be like Vincent." Buy a cell phone. I, and ironically, a lot of people of that anime hot topic Final Fantasy fandom of the mid-2000s definitely wanted to be like Vincent. Uh, oh, don't remind me. me. <laughs> Alright, but um, overall thoughts. Like, I, I, I thought this was nostalgic fun, but then I was a little bit blown away by how... By, like, I remembered the plot being confusing 12 years ago, but I was slightly blown away by just how confusing and bad the... Uh, a lot of the plot points are, but I'm starting with you, Keegan. What was your overall enjoyment, entertainment value of this movie? Would you your, your judgment? I think out of the three, Advent Children is the most enjoyable, but there's definitely bias in there because I can't imagine not being a fan of Final Fantasy VII or having played it. So just going into the movie alone and seeing all the fan service stuff is like, you know, subliminal messaging for me to enjoy the movie. That right. being said, though, the plot is dumb. It's dumb. I'm sorry. The geostigma, the remnants, it's it's dumb. That's the best I can say. And uh, Peter, same question. Like, what, what was your overall thoughts on Advent Children? Um, honest to God, I love this movie. Um, it's weird <laughs> and dumb, um, as we've all been over. Um, the, the plot makes zero sense. As, a, as an extension of Final Fantasy's story, Final Fantasy VII's story, it's just kind of bizarre because VII en- was purposefully left had a vague ending. Um, yeah, and that, it, that's I, another I, thing. Cause, um, and they address that at the with the opening cutscene of the movie. Because FF7's yeah. vague ending is 500 years later, Midgar is uninhabited and overgrown by plants. And they show that scene in Advent Children, but then they're like, two years after FF7, Midgar's still thriving. So... The idea of like when Meteor landed and wholly saved the planet, the uh, that ending of FF7 that's ambiguous is, did the planet decide to save itself and not save the humans, or not? So like like th- like the whole do we deserve to live on this planet question that FF7 proposes is kind of answered with a yeah I guess in Advent Children, which doesn't yeah it's just the the compilation of Final Fantasy VII in general just kind of has that problem. Like I think the only one that does any legitimately interesting world building is crisis core because it just makes Zach into such a likable character. But, um, and there, there's just not a whole lot to do go on in Advent children. I do like, um, they did add a couple scenes from crisis core into it, um, for the complete cut, which I do enjoy. I actually kind of enjoy that. I don't mind clouds arc so much. I know that's a big complaint about the movie is, they made Cloud emo. I think they do a decent enough job of being like, okay, Cloud has like major freaking PTSD mm-hmm. in this one, and okay, he did kind of go through some some shit. Like, and and they they tie it in a little bit more with the Crisis Core stuff. 
so that actually works for me. It's just the rest of it, like the whole remnants of Sephiroth thing that's just like dumb. Yeah, and I mean the, the remnants of Sephiroth and the Geostigma and them trying to connect it to the planet's life stream with more I mean, I mean when we talk about the, the our last movie we can talk about the uh Gaia theory a little bit if we want to. But like <laughs> uh, but a lot of that is total nonsense, but I mean basically Cloud becoming emotionally unavailable again uh following the end of FF7 and then and you seeing everyone leaving messages on his cell phone and then him giving up and then we don't even let's please not talk about dilly dally shilly shally please let's not <laughs> dilly dally shilly shally yeah in, in japanese it's zuru 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 which i think is kind of a oh nonsense word nonsense word <laughs> but, but their translation of it to dilly dally shilly shally is not helping it but uh in a way it's, it's cloud uh it, it's consistent with cloud in ff7 but him almost reverting back to his the an earlier version of himself and then getting over himself again is it's I don't I don't know I don't I, I do not want to psychoanalyze the characters of Advent Children more than we have already, but uh, <laughs> I but I but I basically agree it's not bad FF7 fan service it's entertaining action but I but the plot is a damn mess and the uh, the three remnants of Sephiroth characters are just completely forgettable, especially since they look a little too similar to each other I think yes that's true they're, so they're they're, they're like. They're anime movie villains. Yeah, they like, are. they're like the one-off villains in Naruto movies. So, like, uh, uh, starting yeah. with you, Keegan, I have to ask the question again: Should this movie exist? Ooh, that's a hard one. I think it should, but I think it deserved more time in the oven, and should have had a little bit more focus on the plot over the action. All right, Peter, should Final Fantasy VII Advent Children exist? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with yes on that one. Um. I would say yes, with the caveat that um, it kind of set a bad precedent going forward right. with every FF game trying to be like, oh, we got to match the visuals from Advent Children, or we got to match the the uh, combat from Advent Children. And it's like, or you could just make a video game. <laughs> so both of you basically say with some reluctance that this movie is a movie sh- that should exist, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> All right. I'm not offended that it exists. And now we're going to go to our third movie in our Final Fantasy Film Festival. The, mo- the movie that, this, honestly, this episode started out as just talking about this movie, but we decided to talk about all three instead. And that is 2000's Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. A movie that is... Uh, Here we go, guys. Yeah, okay. It's, uh, <laughs> now, a little bit of background. This movie is regularly listed as one of the worst flops of all time. It, uh, it, exactly how much money it lost depends on where you check, but um, its budget is listed at around 140 million, and it made back about 80 million. So it lost at least 60 million dollars, possibly more, depending on uh, how much Square invested in like ancillary projects or auxiliary projects to uh, to Spirits Within. Um, it was cutting-edge animation for its time. I think it still looks pretty good for being 17 years old, the, blue, the, blue, the HD Blu-ray version I saw. Uh, the main character, uh, Aki Ross, has every individual hair and follicle on her body is individually animated, and over 60,000 hairs was one of the numbers that I saw. And Square had ambitions to use her character model almost as an actress that could be in other movies or other animations. Just so that the work on her could be, you know, used in other uh, in in other projects. So like, there was a lot of ambition around this movie. Square, this was going to be Square's first foray of multiple into animated projects 
or animated films at least, but it ultimately flopped and had very mixed reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four, which I still kind of can't believe. <laughs> and, uh, and it's also maybe exhibit A when you explain the phenomenon of the uncanny valley to someone. I think Roger Ebert likes to play devil's advocate on occasion. <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. He's not as bad as Armand White, who I think is basically the devil instead of the devil's advocate. Um, uh, he's, a, he's another famous film reviewer. But, uh, but Ebert, who I think is, especially since he, of his hatred of video games, I think he's a little complicated to analyze now a few years after his death. I think he was someone who, gen- yeah. who was a genuinely thoughtful, interesting critic who loved movies but had some very specific hang-ups about the mediums of film and video games and ER, I'm sorry, and ER and VR that uh, maybe poisoned the well on a few of his opinions. But uh, but in general, I think he was a smart, thoughtful reviewer for the for the large majority of his career, uh, Roger Ebert. So him, give a uh, genuinely being stunned by the animation, mostly the visuals of Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. If you read his old review, I think is genuinely surprising and interesting. Uh, but and I want to start with those visuals first. I think it still looks good as a movie in general, and is oh yes, and uh, the animation is mostly beautiful. But the concept of the uncanny valley for uh, viewers that haven't heard of this before, something appears photorealistically real, but appear but seems creepy because of specific parts of it that are not real enough, and it's uh, and it's, um, a a human represented. Uh, Call and is sort of called being part of the uncanny valley is usually referred to as being doll-like or not or uh, not lifelike enough, but also too lifelike to be a cartoon. Like th- th- that's the where the feeling of the uncanny valley comes from. And this movie gets described with the human characters in this movie get described by that a lot. Would you agree that they sort of enter the uncanny valley and the spirits within? Starting with you, Peter. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, Spirits Within, interestingly enough, was I, I believe it. I, I believe it. I don't want to say it was the first, although I believe it actually might be. But it was one of the first movies to um, pioneer this sort of technology where um, where where entirely CGI films done using motion capture, um, which um, would go on to become um, a trend. Although um, a, I don't kind of a short lived one. Robert Zemeckis made a couple movies. Um, in that style, his Polar Express, uh, Peter uh, Peter Jackson and Spielberg, they tried to make Tintin. That never that only never got past part one. It, it's a style of filmmaking that is technically impressive. For some reason, it just never looks good. There's just something technically it looks like a computer, like you're watching like a computer simulation. Like the, the one rotoscoped, motion captured, animated movie that I really genuinely love is something called The Waking Life which they use rotoscoping and motion capture, uh, but the movie is almost all of it is conversations between two people, and the animation over the rotoscoping is, is, like, a, is like a 2D painted kind of animation instead of, a, instead of an expensive CGI. So, on the, yeah. so, so like, again, like my one exception to the weird CGI Uncanny Valley is something that isn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, oh, and there are movies, and, and, there are movies <laughs> and there are movies that have used motion capture to great effect. Like look at anything involving um Andy Serkis, like the the Planet of the Apes trilogy that just wrapped up. That whole series is like a testament to to motion capture and how that can be used to effectively characterize something. And motion but, capture um, became very commonplace in video games following uh, the Spirits Within. Like I, I know that um one of my favorite PS2 games, uh, Devil May Cry Three: Dante's Awakening 
the the actor for Dante, Ruben Rang, Ruben Langdon, was the voice actor and motion capture actor actor mm-hmm. for Dante. Sure. And that's yeah, it's definitely so. Like the tech is impressive behind Spirits Within. Like I can't really deny that, but I don't think it quite works, especially when they're like I know like they had things like like Aki Ross, the, the main character, made it under the cover of Maxim. Yeah, like weird stuff like that, and it's like. And then you're looking at it now, and it's like this early 2000s CGI Barbie doll, and it's like, no. <laughs> when I read about them intending Aki to be this multimedia character, it reminded me of, uh, of maybe that you're too young to remember this, but there were in a, around around the same time as uh, the Spirits Within, around like 2000 or 2001, there was a uh, a character named Anna Nova. Who was a computer CGI newscaster, who was uh, like whose um, face was you know compiled from a bunch of cele- women's uh, celebrity faces. They sort of had her as a like basically as a very early version of a web show, just reading reading the news. And they intended her to be more than just that news show. Like there was a lot of there was millions and millions of dollars put into Anano- the Ananova project. And, and I guess a modern comparison to what they wanted to do with Aki Ross would be like a uh, uh, like a Vocaloid. Yeah, yeah, Hatsune. yeah, Hatsune Miku and all of her friends. So it's, it was in a way forward thinking for them to be this ambitious, but the project wasn't good enough and didn't make enough money to to justify it at all. Because all of the human characters in this, when they move, I think it looks all right, but their facial expressions are weird, and that's where you enter the uncanny valley. Like, yeah. um, you know what? It, you know I, what it reminds me of actually, um, and it reminds me of CGI Grand Moff Tarkin from Rogue One. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Like, like uh, you, you know, know what? a character a little bit similar to him. The tech is impressive. The tech is impressive. It and it looks fine when it's in either a still image or when it's not directly in frame. But when whenever they focus on it, you're just like, that is not Peter Cushing. <laughs> like I remember when they uh, um, James Woods's character, who's a who's a general, who's one of the villains of the film, maybe the main villain. Uh, like when he is accusing. Um, uh, Aki Ross of treason, and when he is like saying to himself, "What have I done?" When he, uh, you know, a- allowed the infestation into the base to get a little too large, he has basically the same facial expression. And like, it's yeah. just, it's like the faces are so rigid and odd is where I get bothered. But when I'm watching like an action scene where it doesn't c- focus on their face and they're just moving through a facility or part of the wasteland of the post-apocalypse earth it's like oh this is this is a, a this is a 2000 movie that looks like looks like a good 2008 video game which is a compliment mm. and also maybe it was just the excess of scanning but maybe, did this movie give you a mass effect vibe it certainly didn't give me a final fantasy vibe <laughs> <laughs> i i i maybe because they were scanning everything and because they had these wrist and, and eye mounted uh, scanners and tech, it, it made me think, feel, it felt a little bit like mass effect one, but yeah, I don't know where the final fantasy vibe comes from. Do you think, do you think that them looking for the eight spirits was akin to them searching for crystals in the final fantasy game? I kind of got a bit of like a seven vibe because the whole crystals thing kind of reminded me of the live stream a little bit. Like how it's like the power of this planet, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would that was it was definitely pulling from the same uh, themes as seven. For a and lot I mean, of it had times. it had Sid, so it's basically Final Fantasy, you know. And you it, did, it did have a bit of that Gaia theory where the the planet is a living being, and that is uh, that is trying to self preserve itself and its denizens. Yeah, uh, that's true. 
Uh, it, it definitely was. A, I would definitely say it was a sci-fi movie and not a fantasy movie. That kind of plays into a broader question that we don't really probably don't have time to discuss today. But it's <laughs> one of those things where it's like, is Final Fan- Final Fantasy changes settings with every game? Um, but how much can you change it before it stops being Final Fantasy? And for my money, I think Spirits Within it deviates too far. It, it like, found it found the line and crossed it where it isn't. It doesn't feel like a Final Fantasy thing anymore. It just feels like 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 Sakaguchi just made he made like a Star Trek episode or something like. No, it it felt. I mean, to bring this guy up again, it felt like a Philip K. Dick short story. Mm-hmm. About about and oh here, this is where I I laughed aloud at the plot, where uh, the meteor that struck and released the uh, the phantoms to the world was not an invasion force. It was part of a blown-up planet, and they were dealing with space alien ghosts. <laughs> oh, this plot! Yeah, I mean, they're 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 ghosts. Uh, there exist spirits within all of us, and they can count. They can erase the ghosts by finding all eight component spirits and uniting them into a spirit bomb, if you will. <laughs> Taking the life from everyone in the planet and making a spirit bomb. Yep, Ugh. and uh, James Wood. James Woods is very unhappy about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, it, hearing the celebrity voice acting was a, a little so weird. It, it is a little weird. Like, I mean, Alec Baldwin is the male lead. Uh, Ming-Na Wen does a fair job as Aki Ross. I, I actually liked Steve Buscemi's character a lot, but uh, I, 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 I gravitate Donald towards Sutherland. Did. Yeah, he he might have been the best performance, I guess. But it was uh, uh, yeah. some some head scratching choices for voice cast that weren't necessarily bad, but seemed weird. And I still I still can't believe that this they, this movie cost 140 million in 2000. I think with the voice cast that they have, like that's got to be a huge chunk of the money. I feel like they really wanted to double down on trying yeah. to make it the best they could. You know, that I think the voice like cutting edge tech. I think the voice acting price was probably less than you're assuming it's definitely the enormous animation budget and it and then going over budget already and then probably then planning on making this a multimedia thing that invo- that uh, resulted in them marketing it beyond its scope that's fair so i'll tell you the budget did not go to the writing room no is this is this where uh, square enix's weird multimedia fetish started then you know, maybe, because I don't remember any... I mean, what was their biggest multimedia project before 2000? Maybe the FF5 anime? Or maybe the Coca-Cola? The, the Coca-Cola maybe, FF9 promotions? Oh, maybe, yeah! Maybe the uh, Summer of RPG thing where they released, like, uh, five RPGs in 18 months? But at least but at least that wasn't like, we're going to take this one game, and instead of just making a game, we also have to make a CGI tie-in movie and a comic book and an audio drama and, like, <laughs> an anime series and 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 Beats by Dre and and cell phones and 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 and, and, and Coleman camping gear and um, okay, well okay <laughs> my my completely baseless theory is that when Square was riding very high around 2000 they had they had several smash hit RPGs from like FF7 through say Chrono Cross or FF10 if you want to go into 2001 uh like their ambition was to enter multiple media with this very popular franchise they had. And in a way, they were forward-thinking, because, I mean, now every game tries to do that. But it landed with a resounding thud in Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, which, I mean, was one of the driving factors for them merging with Enix. (laughs) 
because they mm-hmm. yeah because they were like gonna they ran out of money. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. It, it was. I don't think it was the only culprit, but it was the biggest culprit for them uh, losing money on a lot of projects at once. And and uh, it, it was technically a merger, but Enix shareholders got larger returns than Square shareholders, so it was almost like Enix acqu- acquiring Square. But uh, I think Enix actually held off on the merger for a while after Spirits Within because they were very wary of a company that would lose that much money that quickly. Right. No kidding. But uh, so, like, I think Square has always had multimedia ambitions like this for a while because, I mean, it it happened with uh, the compilation of FF7 and then happened again with uh, Fabula Nova Crystallis 13 and happened again with uh, Final Fantasy 15 and Kingsglaive and the mobile games and everything surrounding that. So that's something that I think Square has always been interested in. But how successful it's been, I... I don't know if it's ever been successful. I'm not really sure. I'd have I I don't know enough about the numbers around all those projects to say so. You're telling me you're not currently playing the Clash of Clans version of Final Fantasy 15? No. Cuz I sure am. It's the it's the epitome of RPG on mobile, you know? Is the sarcasm coming through my mic properly? I really no, hope it no, is. No, I, I, I <laughs> my sarcasm detection system over here is working just fine. <laughs> beep beep beep. It's and, and but ultimately, like, there's a lot of interesting things around Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, other, the animation techniques it pioneered, how good it still looks. Uh, some of the surrealism, I think, is neat. Like the dream sequences in it look like the final dungeon of a Final Fantasy game. It's mm-hmm. all, all like the twisted landscapes and the shapes changing. It's like, oh, this is like being a little bit freaked out by going into uh, Pandemonium in FF9. I, I kind of dig this, but it was. Uh, ultimately, the big problems with it to me are first the Uncanny Valley thing. It, it, like the world was not ready to see that kind of animated characters that they couldn't connect to, and also the <laughs> uh, the writing is totally bad. I mean, sp- space ghosts and Gaia hypothesis and spirits and I don't know what else is going on. And lastly, and, and, and also I think we maybe mentioned this before, but the movie went over multiple rewrites that forced them to reanimate and remake parts of it that made everything go over budget and stay too long in development. There was there's a lot of problems around this movie, but I think my biggest criticism of Final Fantasy Advent Children is the same criticism that I had when I watched this movie for the first time, which uh, I was 15 or 16. It was two, it was a year or two after it came out, and that's that it's just boring. I, I wasn't connected to the characters or the plot, and even as the stakes of the plot rose, I just struggled to give a damn about the movie I was, as I was watching it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not a very entertaining movie at all. And, yeah, it's – again, it, it's preachy about certain sci-fi concepts that can be interesting in a better production of something, <laughs> like, a, like a good episode of Twilight Zone or Star Trek. But <laughs> it was um, – it, it just was – it just fell flat as, as uh, straightforward entertainment. I, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as, Robert e- e- as Roger Ebert seemed to. <laughs> Here's that question again. I'm going to start with Keegan this time. Should this movie exist? N O no. I'm sorry, but this movie is just not good as a Final Fantasy movie or as a sci-fi movie in general. It both moves too slowly, and yet so much happens that you can't focus. So, so evil James Woods and wisecrack and Steve Buscemi aren't enough for you, huh? I can get those in plenty of other places with <laughs> movies that I actually and, and enjoy. Do. James Woods doesn't do anything for anybody anymore other than his weird, whack-job political buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's not a good Twitter follower. follow people. Trust me on this one. <laughs> not at all. 
And uh, so, Peter, I have a feeling your answer is going to be similar to Keegan's, but should this epi- should this movie exist? No. Spirits Within is one of the most baffling business decisions in, like, the history of this industry. And it, no matter how much filmmaking technology it might have pioneered, I don't think... Um, I don't think it had enough of an impact that I can justify its existence. Right. And well, okay, I'm going to spin this around a little bit. Maybe you noticed this, maybe you didn't, but I sort of never answered the should this movie exist question. I was going to call I, you out eventually. I, 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 would, I was just letting you uh, you guys ask this, and my, and that's because sort of my answer is I don't think any of these three movies should exist. <laughs> Even though I was entertained by Advent Children and Kingsglaive to a degree, both of these seem like very ambitious, very expensive projects that ultimately don't really have anything to say. And uh, and in the case of Kingsglaive, confuse the sto- like make like confuddle the world of FF15. And in FF7's case, they they half answer a question that didn't need to be answered regarding the ending of FF7. And uh, Spirits Within is a not very entertaining movie that almost destroyed the company that made it. So I I I think that we might have been better off if none of these movies have have been made, even though I was entertained watching two of them at least. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I hear you. So, um, our final cap-off thing. Uh, I'll start with you, Peter, this time. Which of these movies would you think is your favorite, and which of yours of yours would you um, do you think is maybe the best one, like in a vacuum? Like, like, uh, like, which one's your favorite? Thinking about yourself and all your biases, and then which one do you think is the would be the best one or the most entertaining one for someone that doesn't know anything about Final Fantasy? Um, okay, so my favorite one would probably be Advent Children. Um, uh, that movie's been a guilty pleasure of mine for, for pretty much ever since it came out, where I enjoy the fan service. I love the soundtrack. I actually I listen to the soundtrack fairly regularly because um, it's it's Uematsu doing a film score, and it's great. I should, I should, probably, um, I should probably get uh, hit my handle on that soundtrack. I think I, I would like to listen to that. So, and, and yeah, it's fun. And I, I, think that's, I think it's an enjoyable, silly movie that you can kind of point and laugh at, but if you're a Final Fantasy fan, you can actually get some little referential humor from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, best in a vacuum, though. My problem with that is that I, 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 I don't know if any of these are going to be good for somebody who... <laughs> you can, you can just answer no for that one if you prefer. <laughs> I have to say no, because Spirits with... Spirits... Okay, honestly, for a va- in a vacuum... Spirits Within is probably actually the closest thing I would say. <sighs> you stole my answer. Had... <laughs> <laughs> but go no, go ahead. Keep going. No, but but here's the thing, because because Spirits Within mainly because it's not a Final Fantasy movie, but someone who watches this movie and is like my roommate, I, I've had this conversation with my roommate who hasn't played any of the Final Fantasy games other than he's played a bit of ten at my bequest. But um he um he likes spirits within because it's he doesn't require any outside knowledge. You're just watching a CGI sci-fi movie, like that's that's probably the one in a vacuum that someone could watch. The other two are too heavily dependent on video game references. In the case of Advent Children, or are just a two-hour-long teaser for another video game. In Kingsglaive's <laughs> case, <laughs> right on. So, uh, Keegan, same question to you. Which one of these three movies is your favorite, and which one do you think which one do you think is best in the vacuum? All right. So for uh, me personally, I definitely have to go with Advent Children. It really fills in that you know fan servicey element. It's not the best movie, but 
I enjoyed it well enough with my knowledge of Final Fantasy VII that I could at least follow along, you know. In a vacuum, I'm going to have to take the nun option, really. <laughs> if you don't like Final Fantasy, you're definitely not going to like Seven or, or, sorry, Advent Children or Kingsglaive. And I really don't think anybody should be punished enough to watch Spirits of Anime. Like, <laughs> nobody deserves that. No one. I, I I really struggle to say whether Spirits Within is bad or just boring, because I, I I think it's it's not good. Let's 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 set that immediately okay. off the table. But it's a uh, it's I think it it sometimes goes interesting places, and I and I just hesitate to call it bad. I just think it's a little it's a it's I think it's just too boring to recommend, which is maybe worse than bad because bad can be fun. If it wasn't clear already, my answer is basically the same as Peter's. I think that Advent Children was my favorite. I was the most entertained by it. It uh, it it preyed upon my uh, positive FF7 nostalgia and had entertaining action, even though it was, it was completely nonsense for uh, for several plot and character reasons. But I think that Spirits Within, because it's a standalone movie with a beginning and end, and isn't dependent on knowledge of other uh, of other games or stories. I think it's probably the best individual one of these movies in a in a vacuum purely. But again, I don't think any of these three movies should have been made, and I hesitate to recommend any of them unless you like Final Fantasy as much as I do. In in which case, I would hesitantly recommend Advent Children and Kingsglaive probably. But um, and and I in a way, I'm glad I I watched Kingsglaive because now maybe FF15 will make a little bit more sense when I if and when I eventually play that. So, yeah, that's that's our three official words on these three Final Fantasy movies, everyone. Thank you so much to lis- for listening. You've already listened to us speak about um, the Final Fantasy feature on the website a little bit. That should still be up. If it's no longer up at your time of listening, you can go and check the uh, RPGFan.com website and go into the features section and look for the long run of Final Fantasy articles posted in November and early December. Uh, you might have heard two weeks ago we had a uh, Final Fantasy IX episode that Alana hosted, and I know that everyone on that episode loves FF9, so that was a, that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Keegan, you were on that one, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yep. It was a fantastic time. Excellent. Next week, we are doing the opposite of what Kingsglaive does, and instead of staying into the present and the future, we're going all the way back to the beginning and talking about Final Fantasy I. Uh, It's a special one-off episode about FF1. I uh, replayed the PSP version uh, just to have it fresh in my mind to talk about, and that'll be uh, an interesting conversation. And after that Final Fantasy One episode, we're gonna have two Breath of Fire Four episodes in a row. That was the that was the game that was voted on by the fans listening to episode one hundred. And um, so I I'm not very far along in FF in a Breath of Fire Four right now at the time of recording, but I have a while before that episode lands. So I hopefully hopefully I'll at least be past the halfway point when we record the Breath of Fire Four Part One episode. <laughs> And uh, let's see, what else do we have to talk about? Um, we'll have some year-end stuff coming in uh, in December as well, but we haven't really planned much beyond there. Uh, Peter, if listeners want to get in touch with you via social media or the website, how do they do so? Um, well, if people wanted to find me, uh, they can find me at I Have Fury on Twitter. That's the same as my forum handle. Um, you can also reach me by email. Uh, Peter T at RPGFan.com. Hit me up with podcast stuff, news inquiries, uh, anything of that nature. Love, would love to hear from you guys. 
Cool. And uh, Keegan, same question. All right. On uh, social media, you guys can find me on Twitter at Kaylee Brand. Um, if you visit the forums, I'm Fozzy Bear on there. And if you'd like to send me a quick little email, I am Keegan L at RPGFan.com. All right. And for me, I am Monsoon on the forums. I'm at the Real Monsoon on Twitter. I have a second Twitter called at Evoker for Dogs, where I talk about Japanese superheroes and what video games I'm playing. That's a little bit more specific and less accessible than my other than my other Twitter. I also my e- my RPG fan email is at Solosi at I'm sorry, it's just Solosi at RPGfan.com. I put the at in the wrong place there. And if you want to reach out to the podcast specifically, there you should email retro at RPGfan.com. Let's see. Oh also if you have a uh if you want to um let us know what you think of the podcast, rate and review us on iTunes or other uh podcast services wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate everything that you sent towards sent to us that you send to us and we read everything that is directed to us. So guys, I I'd be okay not watching a Final Fantasy movie ever again. I don't know about you. Absolutely. I'd rather play Quest 64 for the rest of my life than oh, play I'm, not, Final I'm not I will not say that. But I, but I, you'll, I get, you'll, get, you'll get another one when 16 comes out. Uh, but I will suggest that we not do another episode like this. Is that fair? Agreed. All right. But there's so, there's so many great RPG adaptations we could talk about. You know, I actually didn't hate right? the Jake Gyllenhaal uh, Prince of Persia movie. I don't hate that. It's not awful. It it's, could be worse. The Silent Hill movie is pretty okay. Mortal Kombat was fun for the time. Speaking of pretty okay, I think this episode's over. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Good I forgot night. to mention, I have a Kingsglaive poster on my wall. <laughs> I may edit that out. Free the dream within The stars are crying A deep A sigh Escapes from Just